This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Coming up top of our two, Justin Williams stops by. He of the Rogers Bundanet hockey panel. Tonight we have a doozy. It is the Islanders. It is the Oilers. Yes, we hearken back to countless Stanley Cup finals uh, between those two teams in the early 80s as the torch was passed from one dynasty to the other. Much like the torch was passed yesterday from Woodcroft uh, to Knobloch and also from Holland to Jackson. Anyway, looking forward to this game tonight. Uh, 8.30 Eastern is the start time. Hockey Central, your pregame show, gets underway at 8 o'clock Eastern. In the meantime, don't look now, but the Pittsburgh Penguins have won four in a row. Don't look now. Tristan Jari with a really nice shutout uh, Saturday night against the Buffalo Sabres. And don't look now, but Yarmer Yager is finally having his number retired by the Pittsburgh Penguins. Someone who has been there and will be there to document all of it is a great Josh Getzoff. He's the play-by-play voice of the Pittsburgh Penguins, and he joins Reminds me now. Hello, Josh. Jeff, long time no talk. How are you? Good to be on with you. Great to hear your voice again, my friend. Now, before we get into the Penguinos here, let me ask you a couple of things. One, were you a fan of the Mighty Ducks movies? Oh, yeah. I was a huge fan of the Mighty Ducks movies. In fact, the jerseys they have this year are like my favorite jerseys ever. Aha. Okay, great. I was hoping you said that because I want to get your thoughts on, and they're wearing the jerseys last night against San Jose, the Radko Gudis goal last night, the uh, the three-point shot that goes in <laughs> because I was saying to Elliot on the podcast, there's essentially two Ducks teams. There's the Anaheim Ducks. That's the team we think of when we think of the Stanley Cup in 2007, for example. Niedermeyer and Pronger and Boschman and Jaguar and these types of players. And then there's the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim. And we can't help but think about Michael Eisner in the movies, um, for example. Here's my question to you. Was that Radko Gudis goal the most Mighty Ducks-style goal you've ever seen? I mean, you just needed that soundtrack underneath it, right? And the slow-mo shot of the puck spinning in the air where you could see Made in the Czech Republic on the side of it as it floats. That was, that was unbelievable. Like you, know, like you said with Elliot, it's a three-point shot, and it's a floater, and it lands in. I mean, i got to be honest. If the Sharks hadn't won a couple of games last week, I think you're looking at that, and you're like, oh, my God, this team, anything they touch just turns the opposite direction. <laughs> Uh, absolutely. Okay, so off the Ducks page and into um, the Penguins page here. So, uh, first of all, before I get to the team, uh, Yager 68 finally joins uh, Michelle Briere and Mario Lemieux. You know, one day Crosby, one day Malkin, etc. One day Latang, etc., etc., etc. But your thoughts on, maybe the best way to put it is the thaw between Yager and the Pittsburgh Penguins. We know that it wasn't good for a long time, and I know that Phil Bork played a key role um, in thawing the relationship between the two and sort of you know, playing diplomat here and Olive Branch, and I'm going to the Czech Republic, and I'm going to talk to Yogs and, and all of that. Like, How do you describe what we just saw, this thaw between the two sides that finally is allowing, rightfully, this to happen? Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Borky, uh, Jeff, because I think, uh, you know, when this all goes down in February, uh, it's going to be a great moment, and it's going to be a night for Yarmir Yager, and he's going to be front and center. But Phil Bork had a huge role in this, uh, for what you said, going over to the Czech Republic and and talking to uh, Yags during a time where uh, maybe it was important to have that uh, reassurance from Phil and from the Penguins that there was a, a real desire to – to make the two sides, you know, be linked forever with this Jersey retirement. And I know that that was kind of when that idea started to really uh, get steam and get legs uh, as far as Yager uh, warming up to it and it it becoming a reality. So uh, it has been a slow thaw, um, but it's been, I think, really over the last five years or so, something that has been um, clamored for by both sides. And I think Yarmir Yager has been pretty direct to the Penguins in the sense of, you know, when his hockey career was truly finished and let's be honest we all never really knew when that would be because he was still playing as of last year um that that, uh this would be something that he would entertain um he's still owning his team out there in Cladno, but uh this is going to be uh you know i said it on our broadcast the other night i think when you think about ppg paints arena you know penguins history of course but 
the, the building itself, this is going to be one of the most significant nights that building has ever had. Uh, the night where 68 yeah. goes up because it's going to, it's going to bring a lot of things to close, but it's also going to honor, you know, one of the, one of the greatest players in the history of hockey and certainly one of the greatest players in the history of the Pittsburgh. Yep. Uh, absolutely. And uh, you know how, I mean, you're there. Um, how bad was it? You know, I was mentioning to Elliot before he came on, like I, I can still vividly remember when, uh, when Yager came back from the KHL and he was deciding where to play and it was like, okay, it's going to be the Penguins and they're going down the road with it and it's going to happen. And then boom, of all teams, he picks the state rivals, the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, I knew that that was, you know, that was a, that was a volcano at that time, but give us a sense of how bad it was. I know Penguins fans felt, felt burned. I'm sure the organization felt burned as well. I can't help but think that Mario uh, felt burned too. How bad was it between the two sides? Yeah, that was, well, that was definitely not a great situation as far as the relationship was concerned. You mentioned going to Philly. <laughs> Remember, uh, Max Talbot also went to Philly as a free agent that offseason, a guy who's uh, in Penguins lore, not quite to yeah. the magnitude of Yager as far as the career statistics, but uh, the individual yeah. contribution, no one will forget Game 7, right? Um, <laughs> and the shush. Uh, yeah, but come on, as, uh, the, the the Red Wings, the, the Red Wings Stanley Cup. That come on, Talbot was the best player. Crosby left, and Talbot picked it up. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, and those two goals live on for infamy. Still hasn't bought a beer in Pittsburgh since. Uh, but I, I think you know <laughs> when you, when to, you look yeah. at <laughs> when you look at that offseason, those two guys, uh, you know, for different eras, but big time association yeah. with the Penguins, both go to the Flyers, and then don't forget later that spring that Flyers team knocked the Penguins out of the playoffs in the first round of the playoffs. So uh, I think that there was a lot of, uh, a lot of fuel added to the fire uh, with how that season went um, from off season to the regular season to the postseason itself. But I can tell you that the, the last few times that Yarmir Yager made trips to Pittsburgh uh, with opposing teams, I think very clearly back to a game, I believe it was in 2015 um, with the Florida Panthers. And he was presented a piece of the igloo, uh, which they were doing with a lot of the legendary players in the 50th anniversary season of the Penguins. Uh, so I guess that would have been 2016, 17. Um, he, you know, seemed really touched by that and really taken back by that. And I remember that, that moment, the dressing room and watching him, uh, you could see how much it meant to him to have some kind of recognition yeah. on the Penguins end to him. Um, and I think, you know, now we've seen what's come out since, right? Like these videos that Yogs has posted on his Instagram. He's, he's using that, uh, that song, I'm Coming Home by P. Diddy and showing pictures of Pittsburgh and videos yeah. of him as a penguin. Um, so I think that this is, has, I don't want to say it's water under the bridge, but this has become something where, where everyone's kind of recognized the faults in the past and maybe the rifts in the past, but realized that the, the logo and the name are synonymous. Uh, and and the, the number too, and they're all going to be linked together here uh, in yeah. a few short months. I just love it. Uh, I think it's you know, February eighteenth is going to be such a beautiful day. Should be a great game. I mean, Kings are a really good team, um, but Yager night and sixty eight going to the rafters is beautiful. Um, let's talk about this Penguins team. Uh, it's an impressive uh, turnaround here for the Pittsburgh Penguins. I mean, you've been there to document all of it. You know this team can be streaky both ways. Uh, you've seen it countless times. Um, you know Tristan Jari, excellent against the Buffalo Sabers, uh, four wins in a row. Uh, it's a big week coming up. Columbus tomorrow, then New Jersey and Carolina. So it's uh, it's a big week as this team looks to to climb up the Metropolitan here. How have they done this? How have they turned this around? Can you identify or check boxes on a on a couple of factors here, Josh? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, Jeff. I think when they left last week for California to what they looked like the other night against Buffalo, you know, our buddy Colby Armstrong and I were calling that game on Sportsnet Pittsburgh here on the TV side, and yeah. he said it on the air. This is this is just a totally different hockey team. Like, they look different. They feel different. They're playing different. Uh, and, you know, winning cures everything, but I think it's the way they won those games in California that started to – bring about a, a, the swagger, so to speak, for the Penguins that we've seen in the past. I mean, the San Jose game, you know, they win 10-2. to two. Obviously, we, we talked about the Sharks a little bit earlier. There's a lot going on there. Yeah. And uh, it was a much-needed win for the Penguins. And I think in that win, you look the score aside, you look at certain aspects of that victory. Tristan Jari started that game. He challenged himself 
after the previous game, a loss to Anaheim where he allowed that goal late after the Pens failed the five-on-three opportunity. Uh, and Mason McTavish scored with, I think, 12 seconds left to give the Ducks the win. Uh, he goes into San Jose and he plays really well. That's overlooked in a 10-2 win, but he played really well. Penguins get depth scoring. They hadn't gotten depth scoring really at all, uh, you know, give or take one or two games in their first 10 before they played the Sharks last week. And they get depth scoring. The fourth line scores. Vinny Hinnestroza in his first game as a Penguin scores. Uh, you got Matt Nieto scoring his first of the season. Uh, and then you, you move forward into Anaheim the next game. And not only do you get a shutout, but you lose Tristan Jari in that game. You, you have him, uh, yeah. you know, take a, an injury to the facial area. He's got a black eye. He's got a swelling above his right eye and has to leave the game. And Magnus Helberg, who's played, uh, you know, a, a two dozen NHL games in his career, steps in uh, and, and preserves the shutout. And the team kind of preserves it overall with the way they changed their style of play a little bit more defensively, a little bit more attention to detail than quite frankly, we've seen from penguins teams in years past, especially the last couple of years. Um, and then you go into Los Angeles and you, you know, I, I think after you lost those games in a row going into California, anyone would have said, okay, you took two out of three. It's a good trip, but they went toe to toe with the Kings team that yes, played the night before, um, but is, and you know, Jeff, this is as deep of a team down the middle as there is in the NHL. Um, they are really, yeah. really a structurally sound team. And they're they're deep. I mean, they're, overall, they're just a great, great hockey team. You mentioned it with that game for the Yager retirement ceremony. They are, uh, for my money, one of the top five teams in the league, I think, overall. And uh, the Penguins went yeah. toe-to-toe with them, and they beat them. And they beat them twice. <laughs> Brian Rust had his first goal waved off and then scores the <laughs> second one. Uh in overtime. So I think there was a lot to be said about that trip. And then you come home and, you, you know, there's a great energy in the building because of that win streak on Saturday night. And they play what I think was their best game of the season against the Buffalo Sabres Saturday night. So um, they are they are definitely feeling good right now. And it's a totally different vibe. It's crazy how a week and a half changes the whole scope of the season. Uh, but here they are. They're right back mm-hmm. to 500. Um, and they have an opportunity tomorrow night to, to move closer to the playoff picture in the Eastern Conference. And as we know, I mean, it's, I always feel a little funny talking about it, but, hey, Thanksgiving's a week and a half away. So uh, that's always traditionally a, a cut line that, that people yeah. look at as far, as far as American Thanksgiving. And uh, they're going to try to push themselves into the pack here before that holiday arrives. It's always a fun run. You know, it, it, it's too, you know, when, when I used to work with Colby on a consistent basis, we'd always talk about the pens. Jeez, we only got like 30 seconds here, Josh. But we used to always talk about how the minute they take the foot off the gas, the whole, it gets bicycle theory. You know, as long as you're pedaling, you're doing fine. The minute you stop pedaling, you fall off. It seems like that's Pittsburgh. And the weird thing about it is they're just loaded with skill. You know, and like and Crosby sets a work rate for everybody. You have to achieve that. You have to get there. But, I mean, this team is, I mean, I guess it must be like endlessly frustrating uh, for the coaching staff too, knowing that if they don't stay at that top tempo, you know, this this house of cards can crumble pretty quickly. Do you have, a 30, you have 30 seconds on that, Josh? Yeah, no, I'll say this, Jeff. I mean, this team started the season. Kyle Dubas obviously comes on board, completely changed the personnel on the roster. They had nine new faces on opening night. Yep. It takes time. You know, whether it's Riley Smith, whether it's Eric Carlson, whether it's Nola Chari, Matt Nieto, Ryan Graves, you run down the list, there's a lot of new faces in different kind of spaces within this lineup, and you started to see it. I think last game was really the first game where they weren't – there was head nods instead of trying to guess as to where players would be on the ice. They weren't looking at each other. They're making no-look passes, and they mm. just kind of had that synergy that I think you, you hoped for. Um, the talent's there. You mentioned it. The pedigree's there. But they have to coalesce, and oh, they're yeah. starting to. And, uh, it's going to be interesting to see where it takes them. Always fun. Uh, Josh, you're great. Thanks, as always, for stopping by. Uh, a lot of great thoughts on Gudis, Yager, and the new-look Pittsburgh Penguins. Thanks so much for popping by, pal. Say hi to Colbs for me. Oh, I will. I'll see him in a few hours. Anytime, Jeff. Uh, there he is, uh, Josh Getzoff, play-by-play voice of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Time now for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. Maddie Marchese is aboard. I'm guessing you're going to go with the big one tonight, Maddie. Uh, yeah, that would be the Islanders at the Oilers. The puck line is minus one and a half 
for the Edmonton Oilers. The Islanders are 1-10 in the last 11 meetings in Edmonton. The under is 4-0 in the last four meetings, and the under is 5-1 in the last six meetings in Edmonton. Did you see what Casey Sezika said after that Washington game on Saturday? I did not. When there, when there were howls for uh, Islanders fans have had it with Lane Lambert, and so they were you know chanting fire Lane Lambert um, at UBS on Saturday. And afterwards, Casey Sezika says, "We." I'm paraphrasing here. I could grab the quote. Um, something along the fact, uh, along the lines of, "We don't want that here. Don't come." Don't come to the games if that's what you're going to say. I don't know I don't think ownership if I that. work in the ticketing department or if I work in marketing or if I'm ownership and one of my longtime players is telling fans not to come to the game. I'm not sure that that's the best of all possible things to say, but... Great time to get out of town if you're the Islanders. Casey Sezikis drops a bomb on the fans, and then the Islanders peace out, and it is game one of the road trip right now against the Edmonton Oilers, and it is game one of the Knobloch era, the Knobloch coffee era uh, with the Edmonton Oilers. And again, Connor McDavid this morning practicing with Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Sam Gagne. Uh, we'll see what happens there tonight, but this is the new era. And the listen, the Oilers don't have much time here to turn things around. Like, I know we keep saying this, and they kept fumbling the ball. Despite the win against Seattle on the weekend, this is still a deeply flawed team. This is a team that needs to change up a lot of areas. We'll see what happens if they can get things started tonight, and we'll see if they get the new coach bounce uh, tonight out of McDavid and company. That was Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. We'll stay on this topic with Justin Williams, panelist for Rogers Monday Night Hockey. Also, Bob Stoffer from Oilers Now stops by the bottom of Hour 2. We have a lot more to get to. Glad you're with us. Hour 2 of the Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Keep it here. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, news breaking out of Carolina. <laughs> Let me get the team we're playing here. February the 10th. 2024, a game against the New Jersey Devils. Or as some call them, the New Jersey Devils. My friend Bill Waters used to always say that. The New Jersey Devils. Um, to bring it back to Cooperalls for one night only. Hartford Whalers uniforms. Yes, we're wearing green. Um, we're going to talk to Justin Williams here in a couple of moments. We're trying to get in touch with him. They're turning back the clock. Justin, by the way, is... Uh, is part of the panel tonight for uh, Rogers Monday Night Hockey. Uh, the pregame at 8 o'clock Eastern. The puck drops at Rogers Place tonight at 8.30 Eastern. It is an intriguing game, and the uh, events of yesterday added another little bit of spice to it, and that most notably is a dismissal of Jay Woodcroft as head coach of the Oilers and inter Chris Knobloch, uh, most recently of the Hartford Wolfpack, AHL affiliate of the New York Rangers. This is his first career NHL coaching gig. And this is an Edmonton Oilers team that need to turn things around ASAP. They needed to turn things around yesterday. They needed to turn things around last week, two weeks ago, three weeks ago. They've needed to do this. Uh, As Elliot and I have talked about, they've squandered all their bad games. Like, as a team, you are allowed a number of clunkers. I'm just talking about elite teams in general. You're allowed a number of bad games. It's just baked into the pie, right? 82 games is a lot. 82 games is a really, really long season. Trust me, I've done this long enough to know what 82 games feels like and what that can do to you. And that's just from someone behind a microphone, let alone someone who's got to try to play 82 games. It is a grind. It is a long time. But along the way, you're allowed a couple of clunkers. The thing about Edmonton is right now, they've used up their clunkers. They can't. They can't. Like, they are out of clunkers. Now the clunkers, you really, really start to pay for. You can't have bad games. You can have the bad odd period here and there. But as far as clunkers go, you've probably exhausted it. You've probably used it all up. 
And this Islanders team isn't playing hot. The Oilers team is in turmoil. The Islanders are 5-5-3. Five, five, and three. The Oilers are 3-9-1 and one coming off that win against the Seattle Kraken. Uh, let's get to uh, one of our feature panelists on Rogers Monday Night Hockey here to document all of it. And I want to get into some talk about his career as well and the nature of what happens to players when coaches get dismissed. The one and only Mr. Game 7, Justin Williams. Justin, how are you today? I'm super. How are you guys? Thanks for having me on. Uh uh, pleasure is all mine. Thanks so much for uh, for doing this today. Um, before I get to tonight, and I'm really looking forward to, to this game, as I'm sure you are as well, before I get into the nature of what happens with, with players when a coach gets dismissed, I mean, you went through it with Ramsey, Maurice, and Murray on three different stops in your career. I want to ask you about what we just saw from the Carolina Hurricanes on Twitter. Cooper Alls returning one night only February the 10th in the green, Hartford Whalers uh, uniforms and the green Cooperalls in a game against the New Jersey Devils. First of all, I like the idea. I know in, 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 in practice, Cooperalls aren't that great because when you go down, you keep sliding. But I think that the idea of, I think I might be in the minority here. Old school guys hate this. I think the look of the long pant actually looks a lot cleaner than the the socks and the pant combination. Do you have a? I mean, you're a you're a fashion plate yourself, Justin Williams. Do you have a thought on the look of the Cooperalls? <laughs> it does look sleeker, doesn't it? It's like a, it's like a Euro cut. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, lo- it does, it looks right? Sweet. I, I've never had a pair on, so I, I can't talk about the functionality of them. But uh, I, I, I think they look pretty cool. <laughs> They're awful. Like I I I played. Uh, I played two years in the MTHL with them. They're forerunner of the GTHL, and they are awful. When you go down, you just slide. Like, you can't get up. It was, I mean, Hartford found this out. Philadelphia found this out. Uh, everyone at junior hockey used to wear them for a couple of years. Uh, not very functional, but they do look good. Okay, so to tonight's matchup. Um, <sighs> the new coach bump, um, is it a real thing? Uh, going back into your history, whether you're playing with Philadelphia, um, where Craig Ramsey was dismissed while you were there, going into Carolina, where Paul Maurice was dismissed while you were there in Los Angeles, uh, Terry Murray was dismissed while you were there. Can you talk about the phenomenon of what happens to a player when a new coach comes in, that very first game? Sure. I mean, obviously you're – you have a new coach, so you're the first thing you're trying to do is, if you're not familiar with him, you're trying to in, in, put in a good word for yourself, right? I mean, you're trying to show the coach what what yeah. type of player you are if he doesn't really know already. You're 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 trying to um, you know have him uh, be confident in putting you out there, um, and just knowing that it's a nice, it's a quick little reset. Um, it seems like everybody's stats will go back to zero. It's just it's just. All right, we're all starting with a fresh slate here. We're gonna, we're going to start this thing fresh. We're going to start this thing anew right now, um, and we're going to see where this takes us. But um, yeah. for the most part, it's 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 tough to start, definitely. Um, yeah. And I think it's important that a coach just says come in and just start throwing a different system in or something right away. But mm-hmm. uh, it's it it'll be interesting to see how it goes. You know, one of the. Um... You know, Justin, I haven't learned much about hockey since I started working in media back in 1994, 95. But I, I have learned one thing. I've learned there's only one thing, Justin, that I'm 100% positive about, when it, whether it relates to sports or for the purposes of this conversation, hockey. Only one thing, and that is this. You cannot lie to players. Players know. Players know who belongs and who doesn't. Players know when someone is going to get fired. Players know when something is not working out. Players know when something is working out. The only thing that I know about hockey, Justin Williams, is that you cannot lie to players. Do players know? Like, did you know every time where you felt like, okay, our coach is on the ropes here? Like, we can just feel like there's a change coming. Like, would the Oilers have been skating in these final few games thinking to themselves, you know what, we get back to Edmonton, we may have a new coach? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, yes, you can't lie to players, but 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 you have to be, you know, out in left field and completely out of touch to know, uh, to not be familiar with, with with the lay of the land. If your team's not doing well, uh, things are going to be changed. Uh, and then that's just exactly what it is. Um, 
you know, the times that, that I was involved with, with, the, with the coaching changes, you, you look around, you're not playing well, uh, expectations are high, uh, they can't trade all 20 players in the team. So, you know, things are going to get shaken yeah. up. And, and that's obviously what's happening uh, there in Edmonton. And, and they're trying to do it right away so they can right the ship uh, as quickly as possible. Mm. You know, one of the things that um, that we've been talking about over the last little while with Edmonton specifically, and you're like, they need to get this thing turned around ASAP. Like, I don't know how, how long the window is open here to salvage the season, but if they have another two weeks like they've just had, I don't know. And again, you can point at 2019 and say, well, the St. Louis Blues did it. But I don't know if they're going to have a shot to get back into the, the top mix here. Um, we talk about clunkers and you've played on some really good hockey teams and you know, like 82 is a lot of games and you can have five or six of these a year. Edmonton's already had those. Like, do you get the feeling that uh, all the, all the clunkers that you're quote unquote allowed to have during the season, Edmonton's used them up and they have to play. I don't want to say perfect hockey, Justin, but as close to perfect hockey as possible in the NHL in 2023-24 because they've used up all of their bad games? Would you would you say that's accurate? Well, I don't think you can look. You, the, the most important thing you can't do is, is look too far ahead and be like, we have to do this. This is the, this is the, uh, this is the winning percentage that we need to get into the playoffs. I, you just can't look ahead. Uh, that's, that's, that's just not, not, not going to be conducive to success, that's for sure. you got to trust that you have the right people in the room and trust in your ability that you can get it done. Because obviously when things don't get well, that's the first thing that goes, right? Am I good enough? Is the team not yeah. good enough? Are we playing the right yeah. system? What's going on here? Um, and I think if you can just trust that you know, you have the right people there and, and, and the right mix, and, and, and obviously you have to change a few things, but um, you have to believe that you can do it. And, you know, teams go on runs where you see them quite a bit now, eight, nine games in a row where they win, and all of a sudden you're talking a different tune. So um, they have the ability to do that. We've seen that. And they have the ability to um, do that relatively quickly. Uh, but obviously time is of the essence. You know, in, in, in your time playing in the NHL, who are some of the players that could um, that could do that, that could, you know, in, in the room say, guys, guys, we, we need to stop thinking about what's going to happen in two months or what's going to happen in three months. All we have is the game in front of us now. Like, who are, who are some of the guys in your past that were the great sort of reality check for the dressing room? Yeah, I mean, those guys are mostly the guys that are just curt, most up front, most... Uh, uh, in your face type guys being like, boys, we got a long road ahead of us, but we have one game tonight. Uh, I mean, I play with some great leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously Rod Brindamore being one of them. Um, you know, in Philadelphia, the room was littered with some, uh, my first couple of years yep. with Rick Tockett and Mark Recchi and Eric Desjardins and John LeClaire. And, uh, I mean, <laughs> it was, it was, it was unbelievable how much I, I was able to learn, you know, Luke Richardson, how, how much I was able to learn. And, um, you, you, just, you just think about the game that you have tonight, and that's it. Be the best you can be tonight. And judging mm-hmm. by their lineup, which is pretty darn good, in Edmonton we're talking about, um, yeah. they usually have an edge going into the game, and uh, they got to believe that. What um what, what do you make of tonight's matchup? Like the storyline is going to be you know the the new coach and we'll see if the uh, if the if the Edmontoners get a uh, get a new bounce here uh, with the new coach. Meanwhile, on the Islanders side, uh, things have not gone swimmingly. Um, the game against Washington on Saturday, the fans were chanting to to fire the coach, and Casey Sezikis, you know, told fans to stay away, which is always a wonderful thing that owners love uh, when players tell fans to, to stay away from the games. Um, so things haven't gone swimmingly. For the Islanders we know the Oilers situation how do you see this thing playing out tonight like what are you curious about as someone you know who you know uh enjoy the uh, the ultimate success in the NHL and that is multiple Stanley Cups well hockey players they make it to the NHL for a reason and one of the reasons is pride and and there's going to be two teams that are struggling right now so it's going to be a hard-fought intense battle tonight um a lot of second effort a lot of third efforts um, that's what I anticipate seeing here tonight. Um, two teams that are that are that are going to be battling. 
Let me let me let me close on this one, Justin. And I I really thank you for stopping by the show here today, and very much looking forward to Rogers Monday Night Hockey this evening. Hockey Central getting underway just after eight o'clock Eastern. Uh, let's go in the wayback machine uh, because I'm a big fan of using skilled players on the penalty kill. <laughs> And I want to go back to the Southeast Division days in 2006, April 7th, against the Washington Capitals, where your Carolina Hurricanes score not one, not two, but three shorthanded goals, two of them from you, the other from Kevin Adams. What if Olaf Kolze would have been the goaltender of record in that one for the Caps? What, if anything, do you remember from that night where you're wondering if Washington's going to start declining power plays? <laughs> no, I mean, listen, they've, uh, I, I do remember that day, but, um, I think there were kind of two breakaways. Um, and usually obviously when you score a shorthanded goal, it's usually that type of thing, right? You're not getting pressure and, and, and hemming them in the zone. I mean, you usually get a breakaway or something to that effect and you go down and score, but, um, no, I mean, obviously things need to be changed up and it's a copycat league. Uh, it always is. People look at the best PKs and and throughout the end of the year and they look and they adjust and um then the power play has to adjust to that and it's a constant game of 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 cat and mouse with uh you know what we're going to do to defend and what we're going to do to try and score and um obviously you know them having a tough one um special teams is so important now especially with the amount of penalties being called um but you know when it's struggling you simplify that's exactly what you do you're struggling you simplify uh, you start playing like a grinder, and, and, and then maybe stuff will start to open up. But um, I think a lot of times teams get too caught up on being a little bit too fancy, wanting to see the highlight goal every time. And, um, yes, that's great, but uh, you got to start with the work first. <laughs> this is great. Um, Justin, I thank you so much for stopping by today. It's great to watch you on television on Monday nights here as, as part of the Rogers Monday Night Hockey crew. Uh, continued success, and enjoy this one uh, for a number of different reasons on a number of different layers and levels. This should be a fascinating game. Thanks so much for stopping by and chatting with me today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. Looking forward to it tonight. Thanks. Should be good. Justin Williams, uh, part of the panel this evening. Uh, David Amber's panel tonight. Um, it is the Edmonton Oilers facing off against uh, the New York Islanders as we bring in Matt Marchese here one more time. This is going to be an interesting one. David Amber, Cassie Campbell-Pascal, Anson Carter, and Justin Williams, uh, your panel tonight uh, for this game. Uh, are we looking at this game for maybe all the wrong reasons here, Maddie, that, you know, much like we were watching the San Jose Sharks last Thursday for the car crash, right? Like, let's be honest. Like, last Thursday, we watched that Edmonton-San Jose game because we wanted to see a crash, and we got a crash. And ultimately, it led to, you know, Jay Woodcroft and Dave Manson losing their jobs, but we got a car crash. Uh, Why are people fascinated with this one tonight, do you think? I don't know that it's a car crash effect, but I think... Maybe people want to know how bad it can get with Edmondson and if coaching was the problem or composition is the issue. What do you think about tonight's game? Well, I think we all do it. I mean, like I, I think I, I think I made this point last week was, you know, when you watch golf, you want to see the golfer hit yeah. one bad shot because then it's like, you know what? They're human just like me. They've got an ounce of human in them. They're just like me. And I think that that and I think that that has a lot to do with this conversation. It's like the Oilers have been so successful over the last couple of seasons. Regular season success, um I mean especially at the tail end of of the first year of the two, but you know they they went to a conference final. They went to um the they lost to the Stanley Cup champion Vegas Golden Knights last year in the playoffs. I think that there is some semblance of you have two of the best players in the world, and sometimes it's good to have a reality check. I think that's why a lot of people will watch this and watch this, you know, as you put it, car crash. Do I think we're watching it for the wrong reasons? Sure. Um, but I also think that there's also uh, people wondering, like, it can't be this bad. There's no way that this team, yeah. who is basically the same as it was last year, it's not like there was some massive overhaul of players because there hasn't been. So that's part of why I think people are watching too. Like, it can't get any worse, right? And I think that's that's also uh, in the conversation. You know, I the, the more that I think about it too, like, and I mentioned this with Elliot in the first hour, 
I think what's what's happened here is we all know that McDavid's not at 100% here, and when McDavid is not on top of the points board uh, with Leon Dreisaitl, it exposes all the weaknesses that have yep. always been there, but they've been able to score themselves out of problems. Now that Edmonton can't score themselves out of problems, now everything's exposed. And that's why I'll go back to, I don't know that this is, the, the problem with this team at all is coaching. I think it's how it's been constructed. And I'm not the only one that's, you know, stumbled into this realization. But to me, like, I don't know that the the problem was was Jay Woodcroft at all. And I think there's a lot of coaches that are nervous out there because now Jay Woodcroft um, is available. And I think Jay Woodcroft will be um, unemployed for as long as Jay Woodcroft wants to be. But as, as it, it, I don't think it's a coincidence that as, you know, the, the points soften for Connor McDavid for mainly injury reasons, all of a sudden the Edmonton Oilers game goes south. I don't think that's a coincidence. They can't score themselves out of problems anymore. They've always relied on that with a healthy McDavid. Yeah, what, have a, it now. what a coincidence that the best player isn't playing at the peak of his abilities and the team isn't winning. What a, what a concept. Um, that's the guy, hmm. when we, especially Connor McDavid, of all people, we've looked at what his career numbers are. He's one of the elite scorers the game has ever seen. So when he's not going, yeah, yeah it does, it, it will, you know, highlight all your other weaknesses. But the one thing is, is that the goal scoring thing has been, they, they can't, they're struggling five on five. And that's the other thing. That's no secret. They have struggled five on five over the course of the last couple of seasons. Their power play last year was next level. Like Montreal Canadians of the seventies, good power play. We need to change the rules. Like that's how good they were. (laughs) And when it's not working, when the puck doesn't go in for you, we can talk about the goaltending, but as of last week, they were six fewest goals per game in the league. That's not an Edmonton Oilers stat that we're used to with Connor McDavid in the lineup. So I don't think Jay Woodcroft forgot how to coach overnight. Um, They didn't get saves and they didn't score at the beginning of the season. And that is never a recipe for success. Uh, Make no mistake about it. The goaltending hasn't exactly been great. 100%. Like I know the goal scoring hasn't been there, but But, they're not helping them out back there either. But Jeff, what did you and I talked before the show about this? And my point was, I don't think that Jay Woodcroft says, yeah, "Yeah, don't cover that guy in front of the net. Because that happened a lot with this team. They've missed assignments, and it's not like Jay Woodcroft's going, you know what, I really don't think we should cover that guy wide open in front because there's no way he's not going to, he's going to score, right? There's no chance. Jay Woodcroft's not saying that. Um, This is all on the players now. They got the coaching change, and if it doesn't pick up soon, uh, well, we're going to be having different conversations about this team. Going to talk with Bob Stoffer coming up at the bottom of the hour more about this one. So let's uh, let's bracket the Edmonton conversation, albeit briefly. Uh, I think there's still a lot of uh, you know uh, juice in the squeeze uh, in this conversation. We'll get into that with Stoffer at the bottom of the hour. Meantime, you want to know how petty I am? I really wanted to play this. Um, <laughs> this is uh, this is referee Corey Savret. So working yesterday's uh, Montreal game. So Christian Dvorak has a uh, has a review on the goal that he thought he scored yesterday. And Corey Savret, you know, I, I know that everybody loves Wes McCauley because he's over the top and is entertaining um, when he uh, when he when he when he pops his mic hot. But I want you to have a listen to this one. I don't know if you, you heard this, Maddie. This is from yesterday. Okay, this is Montreal against Vancouver. Christian Dvorak scores a goal or thought he scored a goal. Rick Tockett with the video review. Corey Savretz with the call. Listen to this. A decision. After reviewing the play, please reset the clock to 12-17. The play was offside. No goal. All right. That is a guy that's really confident on the mic. He Right away, he instructs to reset and then gets to the call. Most officials at that moment just right away want to blurt out, um, blurt out the, that the call's been overturned. So they make sure they get that one. But the first thing he does, this is how this is how petty I am, Maddie. The first thing he does is the instruction to reset the clock as a preview of no goal. I just look at that and say that is a guy that's really confident on the mic, and that is a skill now, by the way, for officials communicating with the fans. I just, I'm so petty, but I just loved it. Watch this game. I, I called David Sis, our producer, and said, "David, can you grab that? I want to play it." That's how goofy I am, but I just loved it. I thought it was a really good moment for that official. You know the, and this is 
it's a newer thing for NHL officials, but this is something that the NFL has done for a while, so they can oh, learn. A, they can learn totally. a thing or two from those NFL officials. But yeah, I mean that is pretty good. If I'm not mistaken, I think I played minor hockey against Corey growing up. So um, he's Did you? Uh, yeah, was well, Danny's brother, right? Yes, yeah, Danny's uh, brother's brother. Yeah. So notch another. Put another one on the list of people that have been more successful than Matt Marchese that he played minor hockey against. No. No question there. Um, but, yeah, the, it wait, is, it wait, is a part where of the entertainment. You, where did you play with Corey? No, I played against him. I'm sure of it. Yeah, I know, but where? Like, where, where did he play? Uh, I, for some reason, I feel like he played in Hamilton. I think, I don't know, I'd have to look. I was trying to look it up because I'm pretty sure right. I played against him. Um, because I know one of my minor hockey coaches actually coached uh, Danny, and that's how we ended up getting a tour of the London Knights dressing room. So, anyway, that's a long time ago. But... the Part The other thing with the referees is, Jeff, that's part of the entertainment factor. As much as people don't necessarily want to agree with it, it's part of the package that you get when you go to a hockey game now or when you watch it on TV. So the, the officials have to be, I mean, they don't have to be, but it is part of the job now. Okay, I want to throw something out at you. Sure. I have an idea. And you could do this at All-Star. How about this for a plan? A referee skills competition. (laughs) No, a referee's game. Because all these guys played hockey. Yeah, they're former players. Really high level. Yeah. Like the way that Wacom recruits now is they want guys with D1 experience, major junior experience, played some pro in Europe or the ECHL or the American Hockey League. Like you have to be able to keep up. These guys all played. But here's the hook. A game featuring officials... Refereed by NHLers. Well, the NHLers wouldn't know what to do with themselves because 90% of them don't know the rule book. <laughs> that's, that's for another conversation. That is always a great one. How well do you know the rule book? Well, they don't. But they you're, do. I, I, I think you're right about it. I know they don't. I know they don't. Je- but I mean, you know more of the rule be, book than wait, they do. <laughs> I no, guarantee it. There, well... You read I, re- it every I, I try to read it at the beginning of every season. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I take it to the beach, put on some suntan <laughs> lotion, doing that in the CBA. Um, would you watch that? I'm just like out of out of curiosity. Would you watch a game comprised of all the officials in the NHL? Okay, so here's what I will tell you, and there's a reason that I would watch it. It would be a lot more entertaining than the All Star game because these guys would actually care. It would be. Nah, no, nah, I don't think they'd be going. I don't think they'd be hitting each other. They still, you know, have no. But it would be a little bit more on intense Monday, on the Monday night. Barely. These guys still have to get to their jobs. But still, I just think of the the, the novelty factor of watching officials play because they're all players. So come on, you. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. You know what? I'm gonna send someone the NHL that idea, and then I'll I'll read the answer tomorrow. How oh, about that, Jeff? He's you know either gonna, gonna get say. like the oh, that's interesting, or a major flat tire. Yeah. <laughs> well, it depends. Like I know I know the right people to send it to who would be like that's interesting, <laughs> and there are certain people that I would send it to the NHL who'd be like, are you eating space cake? What are you thinking, you dope? <laughs> that. How about if I do both? Yeah, so Lance just asked me, should they play it on green ice? And my question is, do oh, one... now you're talking. Yeah, do, buddy. Do the one side of officials wear the stripes vertically and the other wear the stripes horizontally to determine who is oh, who? Oh, <laughs> no, they don't They, they don't even... Oh, well, you saw the Vancouver Giants do that I in the did. Western League, right? I is did. That, that was the, pretty good. Tribute. Talk about pandering to the officials, officials, Jeff. Like, holy smokes. Oh, I know, right? Jeez. Pucker up, Buttercup. Yikes. I know. Way to go. And and I'm sure it didn't work. I would would watch that game. I would watch that game. I I would watch that game. I think you would, too. I think most people would at least glance at it to watch officials play hockey. Tell you what, it'd be a lot more entertaining than watching media people play. Oh, God. Well, because you know what I've played in some of the media games before. I I heard those get really intense. Okay, you know what? And I'm not going to name names, so don't I, even I ask know, me. I know who it is. So don't I, worry. I played, I played in tons of these games. I played in tons of these media games. And you know what I found? The people that were most violent in these, like, friendly media hockey games yep. are the ones that stump about ending violence in hockey. Yes. <laughs> Yes, it's what I found. So, like, there's one very well-known anti-fighting hockey commentator mm-hmm. that you all know, listening and watching right now, who I've seen try to start fights in friendly media games before, but then when they're behind the mic or on television, stump about how bad fighting is in I, hockey. 
Uh, so I I've been told multiple stories. <laughs> I know I know exactly. No who names. These, no 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 no. I'm not yeah, gonna give names. I, but I know exact. I, I know two of them. Um, and so yeah, I know I know exactly. Yeah. I will text you their names off the air. Um, but yeah, the the media games. Here's the other thing too. And I don't mean and I don't I I know I'm probably talking out of school here because I've never played in one of these games, so I will keep my distance. But oh, it man. really does feel like a lot of the media games will be people that think they should have made it and really shouldn't have. So they're like Gordy Gohard for sure. Mm. Some, but like I wouldn't want to play a media game against like Justin Bourne. Guy can still go. Guy's still like young and has legs and stuff. Like that. Or I wouldn't want to play against like Kipper. Like guys that guys that can can still go. Like there are certain media people that like stop playing when they're like fifteen or sixteen. Yeah, I'll play against those guys. So but the media guys that actually played in the NHL, no thanks. So I, I did the I made the mistake. We played in um I think it was the Baycrest Pro Am with the fan. And um so I was I started out I'm not a center by any stretch of the imagination because I'd never seen my own yeah. end. But I was going up against the former NHL, and I won't say who it was. And I, the ref dropped the puck, and I tipped it between his legs and went around him. Needless to say, yeah. not thrilled about that. And then I also tried to do the Datsuk on the goalie and was oh, unsuccessful. Oh, you did not. I, oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> 100%. I, I, just, I, I hit the – no, no, I can do it. I hit the crossbar. Um, I can do it. It's, and then he looked at me. He's like, yeah. you think you're pretty good, huh? I go – not as good as you, but I think I'm pretty good. <laughs> I remember one of the hockey day in Canada um, skates because we usually do it on the Friday night before hockey day plan. And Cassie Campbell, Pascal was defending. And I was coming down like, you know, one-on-one with Cassie. And I try some like dumb, like between the legs and that whole deal. And all she did was just like straight army right in my chest and put me <laughs> on my ass. And she's like... Save your junior hockey BS for someone else. <laughs> That's great. Um, David Amber, by the way, is listening to the conversation and just texted me um, who he thinks one of the people Oh, might see, this be. is what's going to happen. <laughs> I know. I love it. David, you're right. Oh, go, boy. Amber. Not for publication tonight on Rogers good, Monday Night Hockey. But good well work. Uh, I know. Amber's on it. He knows what's up. Okay. Uh, let's hit a break. Um Text me who you think it might be, Maddie. I'll let you know whether you're right Can or wrong. Can do. Doing it now. Uh, anyway, I just wanted to, I just, I just wanted to play that Corey Savrak because I just thought that the call was so like that is a that is an official who has like a lot of confidence in his ability to translate the call to the audience and doesn't just blurt it out quickly so he gets the main point across. I don't know. I'm I'm frivolous, I guess maybe or maybe just like I, I like the minutia of the game too much, but I thought that was a really nice moment by Corey Savret. Anyway, uh hitting a break. We're back on the Oilers page because why not? Uh with Bob Stoffer, Oilers commentator, host of Oilers Now as well. Uh, he'll stop by his two cents on what is happening in Oil Town and how many games do they left, have left to squander? How quickly do they have to turn this thing around? Uh, what does Jeff Jackson and company need to do here by way of move? Or is this it? Are all the answers in that dressing room? Hockey cliche number 2,342. Bob Stoffer is next as the Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet 360. Back in a moment. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Tonight, Rogers Monday Night Hockey. It is the Islanders facing off against the Edmonton Oilers at Rogers Place. Uh, the new look Oilers or the uh, the new bench look Oilers with uh, Chris Knobloch uh, as the head coach, Paul Coffey as the assistant coach. This was the news yesterday. Uh, the exiting of Jay Woodcroft and Dave Manson. Here for comment on all of it. Uh, commentator for the Edmonton Oilers on radio, host of Oilers Now and also a panelist on our Oilers coverage regionally is the one and only Bob Stoffer. Here to tell us why you can never have enough golden bears in your organization. True or false, Bob Stoffer? Well, yesterday was a tough day and uh, the last couple of days have been a, a, a tough time, not just uh, for the Oilers, but uh, for the Golden Bears because if you style... 
Yes. The uh, U of A football <laughs> team dropped the, the the hardy cop turning the ball over with um, the opposition on UBC's 15 with 50 seconds left in the game with a six-point lead. Like It was as bad a beat as you'll ever see. So we were trying to get over that. Uh, but uh, you know what? Yeah. Uh, we're in the here now. Full disclosure, Jeff, as you know, I work for the Oilers Entertainment Group, and it's, you know, Jay was, uh, yeah. Jay did a great job here. Like he, the team was reeling a bit when he came in on February 10th of 2022. Um, they had a real good close of the season. They had third best record in the league after he took over. Uh, I think he went 26, nine and three, and then obviously three rounds of the playoffs, marginal upset against Calgary, and then just got beat by a better team against Colorado. Last year, Jeff, you know, a bit of a tough uh, sort of game, 10 through 20. I remember the team was 21-18-3 at the 42-game mark. Had a real emotional game against L.A. And I doubled down on my preseason prediction, 47 of 50 wins, and people called me idiot, you know, on my own show, and which is a regular occurrence. I just want to establish that. It's not that that's a one-off. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, uh, and they finished the year 14-0-1. Obviously, the at-home trade helped, and the team said they had an easy schedule down the stretch, too, and, you know, went six against mm-hmm. L.A. We're on the ropes a bit in that series, uh, you know, up uh, or down 2-1 and down 3 nothing in game four and rallied and come back and win that series. And even against Vegas, and I know you and me have discussed this, at the end of the day, they lost games five and six and two games in which they outshot Vegas 75-51. to 51. Uh, It was there for them to go get. They didn't get it. So if you had told me a month ago that, uh, you know, we'd have a coaching change here, I would have said you were on planet Zoltar. Oh, yeah. Uh, but we're in a results-driven business. It, it was it, it, from a personal level, and you know what it's like. You know, I this is year 16 for me. I'm I'm on every trip. Uh, I haven't missed a game uh, other than, than when I wasn't allowed to travel because of COVID. I flying out to Chicago once, and you know it's just you, you, you develop personal relationships. Woodcroft, um, Jay coached our farm team. I have him on my show every Monday, but call him every Thursday as well. I went on for four years. And he was on Todd's staff before mm-hmm. it. So you care a lot about the people. Uh, you understand that it's the prerogative of, of a new leader, Jeff Jackson, uh, to, to make some change with ownership. But then you're sitting there. You know, I broadcast Chris Knobloch's games at the U of A. I've known him for 25 years. And, uh, you know, the orders played a factor in him getting into Erie and really jump-starting his coaching career. So this is going to be interesting to watch yeah. how it all unfolds. Uh, a lot there. First of all, great pull from one of my favorite shows as a kid, Battle of the Planets, uh, referencing Zoltar. Love that. Uh, really made my day right there. Right out, of the, right out of the hop, Bob Stoffer. You put a smile on my face. But but number two, like I'm with you as well. Like I'm I'm still st- I'm still stunned that we're sitting here Monday, November the 13th, and Jay Woodcroft is no longer the head coach of the Edmonton Oilers, despite the fact that if you look at his record with the team, um, it's 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 elite. Um, and also that he was only given one full season with the squad. I understand the circumstance. We all get the situation. We know the poor start and the expectations and Connor and Leon in the prime and can't squander, um, you know, any more games here. Uh, I think we all understand that, but I'm, I'm still stunned that Woodcroft is no longer part of the mix. And I think one of the things that we wonder about now is how much, how much effect do you think a coaching change can have on this team starting tonight, knowing that, you know, Elliot and I are always going on about this, Bob. There's only so many clunkers you're allowed uh, every season if you're going to be a top team and compete for the Stanley Cup. And I think we yeah. wonder, have the Edmonton Oilers used up all of their clunkers at this point? And do they need to play as close to perfect hockey down the stretch here? And I can't believe we're talking about the stretch on November 13th, but here we are. Do they need to play as close to perfect hockey from here on in because they don't have the luxury of having a clunker? Uh, interesting question. First of all, I mean, you know this, and, and I've been running numbers uh, since the late 80s. I mean, I think I mentioned this to you once before, but we were in a fantasy-style salary cap-driven pool out of the University of Alberta with a bunch of my buddies back in 1987. One of the guys in the pool, there was only one player that was never allowed in the pool, and that was Joffrey Lupo because his dad was in the pool. So the, that player was not allowed because, you know, the players were commodities in terms of the draft. And when you run numbers, there's certain reoccurring themes with when coaching changes get made. And usually it's when the goaltender doesn't stop the puck. At the end of the day, that's the biggest yeah. thing. It, it, you know, you look at what's going on in Toronto right now, and 
I think Tree's kind of rebuilt that team a little bit, and they got a little bit more physicality and identity. But I think they've given – had they not given up, and, and maybe it's still not the case now, but four goals against every home game so far this year, and they're looking for, you know, Samsonov to, to make a few more saves. And, and unfortunately for Jay, you know, he went through a period, the team's 30 seconds, could dead last in save percentage. And so yeah. the conquerors coincide, like, what was Pat Burns' line, Jeff? Uh, goaltending 70% of hockey, unless you don't have it, then it's 100% of hockey. Then it's and 100. The owners need, they've, yeah. they've need some, yeah, you know, and uh, and that coincided with the time in which Connor McDavid and Leon Dry settle have had their first slump of their NHL careers. And so you can look at all the advanced metrics. I think Edmonton's first or second still in expected goals, four or five on five. They're probably due to come out of it. They've got one of the worst PDOs in the National Hockey League. you got to get more stops. And so one of the things, how do you get more stops? You know, at the end of the day, Stuart Skinner lost the goaltending battle against Aiden Hill, like Vegas' fourth goalie in games five and six. And so they've got to, I think you'll see structurally the team play a little bit differently under Chris Knobloch. Um, and they're going to have to do a better, one of the biggest things they're going to have to do is they're just going to have to, uh, find a way to limit the amount of odd man breaks because they. I think they're. I think it's twenty-two to seven right now in terms of goals for and against off of odd man breaks. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of the coaching, um, what needs to happen with this team? Like I, 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 I look at two things. We all look at coaching. We have to look at composition as well. Um, to your point about um, Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid and their their first career slumps right now, like I don't think anyone believes that Connor McDavid is anywhere near to being at a hundred percent right now. And you know uh, he's the he's the great eraser on the pencil, right? He erases all your mistakes by scoring you out of sure. problems. And when that doesn't happen, everything gets exposed. Like what else needs to what else needs to happen here, Bob? Well, the first thing that needs to happen is the goalies need to stop the puck. Okay, and the orders have to limit as many A-grade scoring opportunities in the D zone. They've got to limit the odd man rushes. But they got to get a save once in a while, too. Um, so it starts, I mean, that, that is, Jack Campbell's down on the minors, and unfortunately he's had a couple tough starts uh, down there as well. This has been a move that uh, hasn't uh, necessarily worked out for him at all. There's no other way to say it. It's, <laughs> we had a press conference yesterday because, if, if Jack had come in and provided the Evans Oilers with the 9-10 save percentage, he's probably playing in the playoffs instead of a less experienced Stuart Skinner. Stuart's probably not winning Rookie of the Year last year, and the Oilers probably aren't in a 3-9-1 and start through the first 13 games. Uh, so they need some stops. They need to limit odd man rushes. Um, they need to improve in their work back to the puck, and that includes uh, you know, forwards tracking back to support the D. I think you'll see the D play with a little more uh, they were they were kind of dropping back a bit, and I, I think you'll see them gap up a little bit more to try to take some time and space away from the opposition forwards. Um, but I just I, I'm not I, I got to tell you here I'm I'm sort of in a little bit of a shock that this has happened. I mean, who wouldn't be? A lot of people had Edmonton. I had Edmonton as a legitimate top six team uh, this season. Oh yeah. Uh, you oh, know yeah. I, I you know and and so and why wouldn't I based on. You know, final eight last year, lose to the Stanley Cup champ. Final four the year before, lose to the Stanley Cup champ. And as for Connor and Leon, offensively a slump. It's, I, I think the work rate's been there. I, I, and I will tell you this, they're the two toughest guys on the team. They play through injuries. Dreisaitl has the pain threshold of a cadaver. Like, he had a broken ankle oh, against yeah. Calgary. Oh, yeah. and got seven. Like, he is a tough SOB. And... You would not know if they're hurt. And McDavid has come back from injury early every time he's been hurt in his NHL career. They're they're the they're the they'd be the most you know this narrative out there. O'Connor is picking and choosing, you know, putting together. But that is he's he's devastated for Jay. Like they're the guys because they take the greatest ownership out of it. You know, the quite when I watch the Maple Leafs in the playoffs. I don't see, with all due respect, to how great of a player Austin Matthews is. And he's no worse than the second or third best player in the world. But I haven't seen them dig in the way, like Matthews and Marner, the way Drysaddle, McDavid and Drysaddle have dug in for Edmonton in the playoffs. Like through sheer force of will, they've elevated the team mm-hmm. to three playoff series wins. And so it's incumbent upon the organization, again, I work for the team, to build a better supporting cast around it, to have better, structure, uh, to have better structure and process in the team's games. 
and to get more saves. I'm going to circle back to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, let, let, let me finish on this one, and um, just because I'm legitimately curious too. I mean, you would have been there to to, to watch him play. What was Chris Knobloch like as a player for University of Alberta? Completely different than he was in junior. Because uh, I saw him play in junior. He played for oh, the yeah. Edmonton Ice here in 1996. So, uh, and I covered the team that year. Uh, he was a he was a middle six forward in the Western League that would fight. Uh, he had a long fuse. And when he came to the U of A, he got elevated in a role right from the get-go. Rob Dom, who he credited it today, Rob Dom emceed my wedding. So that's, that's he's old coaching over in Austria right oh, now. He's a hi. yeah, small, yeah. real, real uh, uh, my first and only wedding. How about this? Chris Knobloch, actually, the night I asked my wife to get married was on. Uh, it was on the air during our Golden Bears broadcast. And she was listening, and the Bears were playing Brandon, which is now a defunct program. And Knobloch scored five goals in that game. So he's got a, and I can tell you, he's got a sense of humor because the Bears lost that year to Nationals. He came up to me in Kitchener. And he saw, you know, me there with Kathy, and he goes, hey, Bob, the next time you get engaged, can you do it during a University Cup final game? So, because he'd scored the five goals. <laughs> so, so he's got he's got, a, he's uh, got a bit of a dry sense of humor. <laughs> he has yeah. really, he has really, you know what, like coaches, for players, the players don't care what you know, they want to know that you care. Okay? And yep. I think that's something that Chris has subtly done. Like, he's not a back slapper that's going to come in and be the life of the party. And, and, and that's, you know, that's for guys like Jeff, you and me to be like, that's part of what we do as, as broadcasters in a lot of, and you read each situation, but uh, you know, he, he turned out to be a, I, mean, I think he scored 30 plus goals for one year uh, and about 45 games. So he, he sort of elevated as an offensive player, but certainly during the third and fourth and fifth years of U of A, you could tell he was going to go the coaching route. And then the funny thing is he went to Kootenai and they coached a defensive system. They're like the Bears were really offensive. Kootenai was really defensive. And he switched when he was at Erie. He came in and he was a little bit defensive out of the gate. And then he liberated his team in Erie. And they had the four, you know, the only major junior coach in history with four consecutive 50-plus win seasons. And remember, he won 50 games yes. two years in a row after McDavid left. So he can breed confidence in his players. And part of it was watching his own evolution at the U of A and how he maybe grew a bit. And I think that he sees that other players can grow too. He um, he had his most success with Erie, as you all know, when Connor McDavid wasn't on the team. That was at Alex DeBrinkett and Dylan Strom and the the Radish brothers. Like he, uh, that, Warren Fogle would have been on that team coming in at uh, OHL trade deadline. Um, that's when he enjoyed the enjoyed the most success. And we all thought, and listen, Windsor, give it to them, man. They led by Rocky Thompson, their coach. Uh, they did a job. They had an elite blue line. Uh, they had Gabe Velarde up front, and that was a really good squad. But the best team at that tournament was that Erie Otter squad. Watching Debrinket and Dylan Strom throwing it around was uh, was a thing of beauty to watch and behind all of it was Chris Knobloch and tonight he will coach game number one in his NHL career. Bob, always a pleasure. Uh, love the stories, uh, especially the G-Bear stuff. I know you love it too. Uh, you be well and uh, we will catch up soon, my friend. We'll catch up soon. Jeff, when you're stuck and can't get somebody better out of Edmonton, feel free to give me a call. <laughs> You're the best, Bob. Bob Stoffer is the host of uh, Oilers Now, commentator for the Edmonton Oilers, our radio analyst for the Edmonton Oilers. You watch him uh, on our regional broadcasts as well. Uh, long, long time uh, hockey analyst uh, in Alberta, the great Bob Stoffer. A uh, couple of minutes, just wrapping up a couple of odds and ends here. Uh, Marchese, if you're still around. Uh, a couple of notes here. I uh, just got this from our producer, David Sis. Uh, PWHL announcing practice facilities, um, most notably here in Canada, TD Place uh, for the Ottawa squad, uh, Ford Performance Center for Toronto, and Verdun Auditorium uh, for Montreal. Uh, those are your practice facilities. I wonder with Toronto if they end up playing at Mattamy this year as their home venue and then move to Coca-Cola Coliseum next season. Just throwing it out there, see uh, see if that ends up happening. We do have a quick clip, by the way. Vegas was at the White House. We have a clip here from... Do we have time to play it? Yeah, we're good. So a clip from we're Mark good. Stone at the White House. We got, we got time? Let's go to this Mark Stone clip from the White House today. It's a lot easier playing hockey in front of 20,000 than this. <laughs> <laughs> Can confirm that. Uh, 
It's an honor to speak on uh, behalf of not only my teammates, but the, in, the entire organization um, and the city of Las Vegas. Uh, it is, of course, uh, an amazing city. Uh, it's the entertainment uh, capital of the world. Uh, I say that uh, with all due respect to Delaware, Mr. President. <laughs> it's a lot easier. <laughs> Charming. Oh, that Mark Stone is slick, eh, Matt Marchese? He did it all with a smile on his face. What I, what I was hoping for was he was going to say... It's uh, it's the most entertaining city in the world. No disrespect to Washington D.C. over the last four or five years. That's what I was waiting for. No kidding. <laughs> no, going back to 2016 <laughs> for my last few years. It's been uh, a while, Matt Marchese. That's Mark. Uh, Mark Stone's a treat. Like he really is. Like people don't know how funny yeah. Mark Stone is. Like he's he's great for the sport. You know, we always talk about players that when they're when they're when they're finished their career, how many trans uh, transition into to media as well. Uh, and we saw like no surprise, PK Subban do it um, smoothly. I think Ryan Callahan's done a really good job. Mm-hmm. Uh, his uh, Mike Rupp is just fantastic. Like every year, there's there's more and more. Uh, Justin Williams is 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 doing it now. I mentioned he's on the panel tonight for Rogers Monday Night Hockey. Uh, if he wants it, I mean, I don't think he need it financially. Um, but if he wants it, I can see Mark Stone being one of those guys. Yeah. And I always have. And I just really hope that before he wraps it up that there's a – and I know full well they only give it to centers. Uh, there's a Selkie Trophy in there somewhere because he's, you know, over the course of his career been one of the best two-way players in the game, period, and one of the most entertaining players as well on the microphone. They got a good one there in Vegas, Matt Marchese. Tonight, yeah, they, yeah, they do. It is the Oilers. It is the Islanders. Uh, this one is intriguing, considering what happened yesterday. We always wonder about the first uh, coach, uh, first new coach phenomenon with the squad. We'll see what happens. I mean, do you have a quick thought on that one as we wrap up here? Yeah, I. It feels like a low-scoring game, doesn't it? It feels like they're de- Edmonton's going to try and lock things down defensively you know, get that in order and then figure out their offense along the way. Uh, but the Islanders are still going to win. So there you go. <laughs> Six, five game. <laughs> Just because. Yeah, of course. Whenever we predict two to one. Yeah. Six to five. Yep. Um, thanks for supervising producer, Matt Marchese, our producer, David Sis, Lance Kennedy and general Nick back and master, uh, Elliot Friedman, Josh Getzoff. Justin Williams, and you just heard from Bob Stoffer from Oilers Now a couple of moments ago. Thanks, everyone, for listening, either live across the Sportsnet Radio Network, watching, maybe you're at a hockey shop, maybe you're at a restaurant right now. Thanks for watching on Sportsnet 360, or if you're on the treadmill, you might be listening on your favorite podcast platform. To all of you, thank you. Uh, it's a big week on the horizon. Enjoy the hockey. Back tomorrow, 22 hours for more of the Merrick Show.